Hello Academaniacs! Michael here with a couple quick announcements before we get into today's show. First, I wanted to remind everyone about the panel that I will be facilitating at Gen Con, which at this point is just a couple weeks away. Myself and Victoria from the Broadswords Podcast, which is a proud member of the RPG Academy Network, as well as Shane from Total Party Thrill Podcast, which is not a proud member of the RPG Academy, but it's still a great podcast ran by some great people. The three of us are going to be running a panel from 9 o'clock to 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, which is August 2nd. Originally, the panel had gotten sold out, but we were fortunate enough that we were able to move to a larger room, so we've been able to add a few more seats. A couple of those have already been taken, but there are still some seats available right now. So this is a panel, uh, myself, Victoria, and Shane are going to share some of the experiences that we have gleaned for many years of playing tabletop RPGs. The goal is that this is for brand new DMs, maybe someone who has played a couple times but has never DM'd or maybe only DM'd once or twice. So it's some basic tips, tricks, techniques, things that we have used at our tables, uh, hoping that we will give these newer DMs a strong footing to start off with, running great games right out of the gate. I am very excited about the panel, and I hope that uh, the people there will get something from it. And I hope that someone listening may go, oh, hey, I want to check that out, and will come join us as well. And then one other quick thing, I just want to remind everyone that Akatacon 2018 tickets are going to go on sale on August 1st, the same day that Gen Con starts. The tickets are going to be basically the same price as last year. There's a little bit of difference because we're changing ticket services. We're not using Eventbrite anymore. We're going to use a, a service by Dayton Live. I don't have links yet, but I will have them soon, and they'll be posted everywhere that I can post things. Uh, but yeah, we're hoping that some people will come play games with us this November in Dayton, Ohio. So uh, please check out the tickets. If it's something that you can come spend some time with us in Dayton, I, trust me, it will be worth it. It is a remarkably fun time for a small convention. So with that out of the way, we do have a sponsor we need to recognize from last year's Akatacon, and then we will get on to the show. Thanks, and see you soon. This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by DeVere Games. DeVere Games is an international distribution company that has recently begun publishing its own party games. With an office based out of Seattle, DeVere has published popular games such as Holmes, Sherlock, and Mycroft, as well as their recent release, Fast Food Fear. Their next game is Michael Strogoff, which is based off the Jules Verne novel of the same name. DeVere focuses on making games that are easy to learn and have high quality production values and draw on interesting mechanics to add replayability. If you're interested in finding out more about DeVere, check out their website, DeVereGames.com. That's D-E-V-I-R-Games.com or their publisher page on Board Game Geek. We will have links in the show notes to both. Once again, we want to thank DeVere Games for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Detention Live from the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight I have a special guest with me, um, Mr. Chris Hussey. Chris, welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much, actually, for having me. It, uh, no, really, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. I, I like the... I've gone on a number of podcasts, and but doing this live um, uh, is kind of fun. And it's... Uh, I, we've, I've done something... 
we've done so I've done something similar before uh, with a couple other uh, RPGA Academy members. This is back a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, that's kind of when Google Hangouts was still relatively new. But mm. this is uh, this is very cool. Yeah, I um, I really kind of dig uh, the, the live aspect. Why? Well, and we talked even before I turned on it all, so no one heard that part. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> About how I like to edit myself. I can make myself sound so much smarter than I really am. I can remove my ums and ahs, and I can shorten oh. pauses while I'm thinking. It's it's just great. Uh, but there's a freedom from just doing it live. Whatever's there is there. Good, bad, and, you know, ugly, indifferent, that sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, I do want to do a quick audio test. Uh, as always, the audio is a little bit off, but I think I have Chris's fairly close to mine so if anyone could weigh in if i'm too loud or he's too loud i'll try to do some adjustments how do i sound people do i sound all right i mean you sound sexy well thank you i thank you very much (laughs) i I really i truly appreciate that fantastic so for anyone who might be new watching tonight or watching in the future uh detention is our weekly talk show it's a little bit more of a i say it's loose but there's actually a structured format but we can vary within that format drastically uh it's a little bit more laid back sometimes we get a little bit more adult humor than we try to do now in our other shows but even then not really, unless the guest just kind of moves us that way, which is fine. <laughs> uh, we do a bunch of improv games. We talk about some old campaigns. We try to come up with some interesting ways to use monsters, maybe one we've used before or one we want to use in the future. And then we play a little Q&A with the audience. Uh, but the unofficial start of all the shows is, Chris, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking. I'll, I'll show you here first. It is a, it's a, it's a, dark, uh, it's a dark ale. And I'm drinking it in my uh, Wahlburgers uh, pint glass, which I got from uh, for free as a gift at a local restaurant, which was not Wahlburgers. They were doing a, 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 some sort of conjunction with them. But well, here's what it is: it is a uh, it's a it's a craft brew. It's called Almond Joys with Ys, uh, apparently. Okay. Is in, in a Z. Um, anyway, but okay. So so this my son actually bought this beer, and we were. We were shopping. We were, we were at the liquor store, and he saw that he wanted to get it. And I looked at it, and I thought, I just thought that that looks like it's going to be awful. It just looks like it's going to be awful. But he got it, and surprisingly, um, I actually really kind of like it. Mm. And uh, it does, and it does taste good. It's it's a little thick. It's got a little bit of a creamy texture to it, and it absolutely uh, does have a coconut uh, flavor. You can taste the chocolate a little bit, but the coconut is definitely there. And there's even the, the little hint of the, uh, the almonds. Oh, very so, interesting. Yes. Uh, so jokes. So jokes on him, I guess. Then. Yeah. Well, and he said he said he uh, he didn't like it. I guess he ended up not liking it. So he said, if you want to have the rest, then you go right ahead. So I'll take it. Uh, I'm back on the water kick. I've been soda free now for a while. Uh, on vacation, Good for you. I did. Uh, I did drink some tea. Uh, I, I, you know, that, I'm kind of that's sort of like my half measure. I didn't have any sodas, but I did have some sweet tea. And originally, we bought like a, just a gallon. We went to Gatlinburg, which so was down south. So the sweet tea should have been great, right? It was not very good at all. I'm like, ah, and I didn't want to say anything because you know the in-laws or the ones went to the store and they <laughs> bought it for me. And then I, I started looking at the at the jug, and it was zero sugar. It was like the sugar-free sweet tea, which is basically, Is that like, so that doesn't behave in the same way as like sugar-free candies, does it? I mean, where it totally just destroys your system. Uh, That one did not. I I have been off and on Atkins for a while, so I'm very familiar with what sugar alcohols do to your uh, lower GI tract, and it is not pretty. (laughs) 
but no, I didn't have any of those issues. Eventually, I, I, I like got halfway through the jug, and then when they weren't there, I poured all of it out. And I was like, oh, I finished it. And then when they sent them back to the store, I was like, oh, by the way, look for the, you know, that kind of thing. So I ended yeah. up with some sweet tea, but mostly I've been drinking all water, trying again, trying to lose a little bit of weight, going back and forth. So you said you're soda free. First of all, kudos. That's awesome. Uh, good for you. But then is it, do you, it, it, do you like, uh, do you still drink the, the cart, the, just the, the, the flavored water, you know, like the, the carbonated water that has like the citrus flavors and all that kind of stuff? No, I, I'm, I'm very weird when I'm drinking water. I just like water. I don't like lemon in it. I don't want any flavorings. Just give me water with ice and I'm good to go. Nice. So. nice. I actually had my, and I, of course you said soda. I actually had my first uh, can slash bottle of pop uh, for the first time, like in a well, quite a long time the other day I had seen, I was at target and they had on their clearance shelf, they had like some sort of custom cola that was also like part ginger, not ginger beer, but it had ginger in it. Um, and so it looked very interesting. And again, it was on clearance. So I thought, okay, what the heck? I'll give it a try. Plus the sugar content actually was, was lower than a can, your standard can of um, uh, cola, but it was actually pretty good. It, it was not something that would make me want to start drinking that again, but it was, uh, it was neat to have as a, as a one shot kind of thing. You know? I'm a still big fan of L8 ones. And I've talked about them many times on the show. It's a local Kentucky drink. It's like a very sweet ginger ale. Um, mm. So usually like, when we go to like a catacomb this year, I will definitely have some of those then. So certain special occasions, you know, I'll kind of break it, but I'm still, I'm trying to manage the weight without being on an actual diet this time, which is not working great. Um, Cause they usually, I can lose weight really fast, but then I go off the diet and I gain it all back. So this time I'm trying to not really diet, just, you know, smaller portions, not drinking sodas, walking the dog, you know, a little exercise. So hopefully I will be able to maintain a sort of a steady decline of, of the weight. Um, nice. And again, the people who listen all the time already know this. I, I was di- diagnosed with diabetes or pre-stage diabetes about eight months ago, uh, which I was at the heaviest I'd ever been. And within four months, I lost enough weight that I was now back under those numbers. But now I've, I've kind of been fluctuating a little up, a little down. So I'm a little, I'm not sure how this next, I know I'm not back up, but I may not be, I may be up a little, I guess. Uh, so I'm trying to maintain that before my next doctor's appointment. Nice. But, but before we get into that, because we've, we've already already off the rails. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. I have that effect on people. <laughs> we no, just, again, tangent man. We, we, you and I have not had a lot of interactions, but we've had some very cool ones. And I hope that we will talk a little bit about that as well. But for anyone who doesn't know Chris Hussey or, or why you might be a part you know, of this sphere, who is Chris Hussey? What do you do in the industry? Podcasty stuff? Uh, let us know. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I kind of got started. I mean, aside from just being uh, just regular gaming, I guess I got started in the industry back in 1993. Uh, and that was Ooh, when I got, yeah. Olden it, times. He is very, very <laughs> old. And this was, uh, that was actually when I got my first uh, publishing job, gig, whatever you want to call it with uh, FASA Corporation. And I wrote um, and from that point forward, I wrote a number of things for their Battletech line, um, supplement source books. Yeah, I did maybe, I can't even remember right now, but throughout the 90s, I did probably maybe about four or five, half a dozen solo projects. And then I was uh, a contributing author on a number of other uh, projects because they, they did that a lot 
when they would just have a number, they would, each author would take like a section or something. And so I was a contributor to a lot of projects. I branched out a little bit into uh, their Shadowrun line at the time, did a couple of collaboration projects for that. Never did any solo stuff there. Um, surprisingly, my favorite probably fantasy game of all time, Earth Dawn, which was also published by FASA, I never actually did anything for. Absolutely loved the game, just never wrote anything. Did you say for Earth it. Earth Dawn? Earth Dawn, yeah. Okay. Um, it is it is to me with without question the if you're looking for something that has um, a D and D level of crunch to it, not necessarily third edition, but somewhere in the second edition realm uh, or even fifth edition to a certain degree, it is far and away the best fantasy game. Uh, uh, that I've ever played. It's just, it's, it's on all levels. It's fantastic. And I'm happy to see that they're publishing new stuff again for it. But um, so I did a lot of stuff for that. I took a, a, a break basically uh, for various reasons sometime in the late nineties, got back into writing a little bit in uh, early two thousands, did a couple of, um, uh, they had a lot of really quick, cheap, uh, D20 based adventures. I did a couple of those. I contributed to some fancy flight D20 products. Uh, I had a column in Shadus briefly. Uh, and then uh, after that, I kind of got out of it again, but then got into a lot of fiction writing for Battletech. And I did that for quite some time. Um, sometime around 99, 2000, I had an online gaming website slash magazine that uh, failed horribly, but yet for its time, uh, did uh, some of, in my opinion, because uh, I'm utterly biased, some of the best Gen Con coverage ever. Uh, a lot of some of the stuff you can still see on, on uh, YouTube. I ended up putting it back up there later on uh, once YouTube actually became a thing. But um, then, right around 2008, that's when I got involved with Fear the Boot, and I've been essentially with them since. Um, off and on, mostly within the last few years, mostly off more than on. And then I've just kind of become, uh, I like to call myself this podcast vagabond of sorts because I, I kind of just make the rounds to other podcasts and just be on there and do that, which I actually, I kind of enjoy. It's kind of fun just as something different to do. Uh, I produced uh, a couple of years ago, I produced a short run gaming comedy series called Gamers Behaving Badly, which I believe is still online. You can find it. Uh, it was about eight episodes. I then did a failed Kickstarter for the second season. So we didn't have a second season. Um, and then, uh, um, <laughs> thank you, Mumfrey. Yes, I, I will talk like Ernest Wick from Young and Holt here, maybe shortly if I can. Um, <laughs> sorry, I saw that in the chat. Yeah, anyway, um, no, no. And then, um, let's see what else. Oh, and then I did a, uh, I did a, um, I did a short film, which was a, a selection at Gen Con 2016 for their film festival. And then the thing I'm currently working on now, oh, I'm sorry, I'd be, Sloan would kill me if I didn't mention this. For about a year and a half, uh, I was a player in an online uh, streaming Earthdawn game with the RPG Squad, which is run by uh, a fellow named Unlucky Desperado. And he did it with a couple of his streaming buddies. I was the non-video game streamer who was the player on there. But we did that probably for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, it was great. Uh, it just recently ended. And then finally, um, I'm now doing the actual play. It's the Deadlands actual play. And it's uh, The Adventures of Young and Holt. And it's uh, me and two guys from my local gaming group. And we just kind of decided to do it really on a lark. And it has turned into 
uh, probably one of the most, or probably one of the things I'm most proud of uh, from a creative standpoint, just because the gameplay has been um, in my, in, if I was to not, if I didn't have it as the actual play, um, as a campaign that I'm running, I, I don't think I've ever been more pleased with how the story's progressing and the role play that's coming out of it. It's, um, it's kind of blows me away. And I've been, I've been gaming since 83 and you think you would have already hit that pinnacle at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but I'm only hitting it now with these guys and it's, and I've had some pretty good gaming experiences, but this is, um, uh, it, it just impresses me uh, every single time we sit down. It's um, it's really it's it's great. Awesome, that is very very cool. Um, so that was a whole bunch of stuff. It was but, it was a shitload of things. Yeah, I'm but, sorry. No, 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 okay, but but the thing that stuck out to me um, was the Earth Dawn only because I um, I recently was a half price books by my house and they have an Earth Dawn second edition core book, and I almost bought it, but I'm like, I don't know what this is. It kind of looks like. <laughs> D and D, I already have D and D, so I didn't buy it. Um, so maybe I should go back and get it. You know, I'm trying to remember. There was one. There was one edition that everybody kind of collectively hated, and I think <laughs> it was third edition, um, or I should say hated. That's too strong a word. Didn't really like very much. Um, I was very pleased with first edition. I actually never played second um, or third. Well, no, I'm sorry. We started with third. Maybe it was second edition that people didn't like. And I didn't really have a problem with third edition. The fourth edition, we switched in the campaign, uh, a little ways through into the fourth edition. And it was, uh, it was also still very enjoyable, but, um, uh, it is, it's, it's a, it is, it's a, it's a fantasy role-playing game. Really, if you look at it closely, you could describe it. It is a, it's a post-apocalyptic fantasy game where the characters that you play are actually superheroes. I mean, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to break it down as to what it is, because the the, the setting itself is does take place after um, a magical apocalypse of sorts, and everyone has lived underground, hiding out from this. And the the idea is, your characters have come out of their underground cares and are now exploring and rediscovering the world. Um, and your every character is somebody who is magically uh, enhanced in a way. Magic powers all of your special abilities that you have. And you can do some amazing things, which if you looked at it in a certain light, they would all look like superpowers um, in regards to, you know, your standard superhero sort of thing. And so it's, but it's disguised as a fantasy game. And so the whole idea of like a dungeon delve makes sense in this world because the, the idea that is part of the rediscovery, you're exploring a lot of these underground cares, which have been wiped out by these evil horrors that came from this magical realm uh, beyond. And uh, so to go down and explore and go room by room, you know, dungeon crawling, it makes complete and perfect sense because you know exactly what this was at the time uh, or in the past. And so it's just, yeah, it's just a fun game. And the way they do, Magic items also make sense um, and to where discovering the hidden powers of a magic item in and of itself becomes part of the adventure and the overall plot or subplot of, of what your characters do um, because there's, there's a legend and a story to every magic item. So there is no such thing as a plus one sword. It is, a, it is the sword of, you know, the, it's the RPG Academy Blade of Vengeance. And so now you have to go and learn these various things about this Blade of Vengeance from the RPG Academy. And as you learn more and more about it, you open up and unlock other um, powers within that blade or whatever the item might be. 
So it's, it really is. It's a, it's a great, um, it's a great fantasy RPG. All right. Well, find out what edition I should avoid. And if that's not the one that has a half price book, I'll go ahead and pick it up and throw it into our Catacon uh, library for this coming year. Excellent. Um, so we'll move into the show proper. The first thing we like to do is what we call extracurricular. And this is just where we talk about what we've been up to lately. Uh, you know, it can be gaming related. doesn't have to be. It could be movies, books, TV shows that you've been watching, anything you're working on that you want to share. You're the guest. I'll start with you. What's been up to? Um, well, just to satisfy the people in the chat, <clears throat> I'll see if I can, I, I've never actually had to do this, do this voice. Um, uh, I guess in front of anybody else, I'm just on a microphone when I do it. So lately I've been doing the adventures of young and Holt, which is a Deadlands actual play podcast. And this voice that I'm doing right now is the character's name is Ernest Wick. And he's a reporter for a newspaper that's in the Deadlands universe. <laughs> it feels really weird to do, do this. And I'm not sitting around a table, but <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that is the, that is the gaming wise. That's the, the main thing I'm doing. Uh, other things I've been consuming. Uh, I just recently finished Lost in Space on Netflix. Uh, I am now going into and watching The Rain, um, which is, it's interesting to watch. It, it's a Danish show. Uh, it's also happens to be a post-apocalyptic show uh, where apparently there's something bad in the rain that has killed everybody and so, or killed many people. And so now the two main characters who've been living in an underground bunker have now you've been they've been forced out of this bunker and must now start to go and slowly discover what happened um so i've been enjoying been enjoying that uh let's see what else have i been doing like so i, I also I, I, I watched lost in space what do you think yeah. of it yeah i, I kind of went back and forth about it a little bit um I, I was a little frustrated in the beginning because i understand that that you know the whole man versus nature and you've got to have you know, things happen to you to create that dramatic tension, but yeesh, there was a lot of things that were happening to them, you know, just constant yeah. problems. And so that was, that got a little annoying. Uh, I think I, I, I ended up liking what they did with the Dr. Smith character. And I hadn't, I never really have watched any of the original, um, nor did I watch the, um, Lost in Space movie that had William Hurt and Matt LeBlanc in it. Those oh. are the two actors I can remember. Oh my God. That. So I listened to a podcast where they recently talked about that movie because they were talking about the Lost in Space Netflix show. I had never watched it either. I went back and watched it and I am angry that they got me to watch this movie. It is so bad. It's not even bad that it's good, you know? It is just bad. I heard that it was horrible. I remember horrible. hearing that it was <laughs> Horrible. Yes. So here's here's my thing about Dr. Smith, because I, I like the show overall and enjoyed it for the most part. I'm looking forward to another season. But I felt like the Dr. Smith character and, and maybe was intentional. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but a lot of times what she was trying to do made no sense. It's it's like she was lying just to lie. It wasn't really helpful. You know, like she could have told like half truths covered her bases in case something happened but no she would just make up crazy stuff that you knew was going to blow back on her and i it was so frustrated like why one why are you doing it and two why is it working it shouldn't work because you're you're being so dumb yes yeah you know it in the in the thing the thing that yes first of all i agree with you on that the other thing that was but but to counter that though is that and of course now her her name escapes me the actress um it starts with it starts with uh, she has it's two P's first and last name is P but anyway uh, Piper or 
Oh, if you hadn't asked me, I would have known it. Stan, no, that's saying I want to say it's Piper Paribu, but I know no, that it's, it's not right. It's not. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're killing right? me. I know. I'm sorry. And but um, uh, hold on. Somebody in the chat says something about fish heads. I want to get to that. Yeah, but, that's but Billy, first, Billy Mummy. Yeah. But um, the uh, uh, she she's such a good actress yes. that that I I couldn't decide if it was. Was her was she just doing a good job at being that type of character, or was there something goofy with the character? But she, she's just a very good actress in that sense, and so she was able to. I don't know if it's something in her face or her delivery, but she kind of really, she overcompensated, in my opinion, for the, the problems that the character has. It's just because she was very good at Parker Posey. There we go. Thank you. Um, she's very good at what she does, mm-hmm. and so that that helped make it. And. Um, the rest of them were pretty good too. I really liked the dad character. He was, uh, uh, he, he reminded me of William Hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I could see that. I could see that. And, and I remember, um, what's her face? The mom, I remember her when she was on Deadwood. Um, she was very good on there too. So, uh, was she the prostitute? That- no, she was like the, the, she was the one who started the bank. Really? Um, she, yeah, she was one that got involved with Seth Bullock. Oh my yes. lord! Okay, I kind of feel like I recognize her, but I didn't know from where. Yep, so, that's where she's from. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Very cool. So, I, so actually, I started watching The Rain as well. Oh, okay. but I only got awesome. like halfway through the first episode because the point where the kids go up because they think Dad's outside. Like I was just like, oh, that's so bad. It's yeah, so I know bad. that that the the first episode is very tough to get through, and and the kids were annoying AF, and um, but then once they did their time jump because they come out six years later or whatever, oh, okay, then it's every, things are much better. Okay, um, I'll have yeah, to they, give it another shot then because I'd heard good things about it. I was pretty interested, excited. I was like, let's watch this. And my wife I was with me like, it was like twenty minutes in, we're like. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> and also, this is kind of funny. The same thing happened with Dark. Did you watch that, the German show on Netflix? No, I have not it's yet. really good. Definitely okay. to watch that. But I found, I guess, because uh, Dark is German and Rain is... Danish. Danish. When they do closed captioning, they don't always match exactly. I noticed it's that, It's so too. weird. It is weird. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing, that's so funny that you mentioned that because I, I noticed that. The thing that, was, that kept getting me is that I like the fact that they had Danish actors do the English dubbing because so they still have that Danish accent a little bit in their English, which is, I think is cool. But the, the one that I noticed in particular, and here's where the closed captioning stuff gets. First of all, there's some lines where they say it and it does not match the ca- captioning at all. Okay. I mean, it's not even close. But then, and you might have noticed this every time, because the, 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 the boy's character, his name is Rasmus. And every time she audibly referred to him, you know, in a nickname fashion, she kept calling him Moose. But in the subtitles, every time she said that, Moose was replaced with Sweetie. Hmm. And I don't know if they were thinking that they didn't want, like people wouldn't understand that she was just kind of referring to him, you know, colloquially or whatever right. the phrase might be. But yeah, that, but you're absolutely right. The closed captioning is not, doesn't balance. Because yeah, I've, I've recently started closed captioning all the time. I, I have hearing problems and it's just either turn the TV up so loud, everyone else in the house is annoyed or I can watch it and, and read as I go. So I've been close. I mean, I close caption like everything now. And so I was just like this, it, it, it made my brain kind of hurt because <laughs> I'm hearing it, but I'm reading it and they don't line up exactly. And it's just, you know, it's like, have you ever tried There's that thing where you try to like, if you listen to yourself talk, you can't speak. 
Yes. It's, like, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like I, my brain just will not get into gear because nothing <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It makes it tough to, tough to follow. And I almost had to keep the captioning on, but didn't really train my eyes to only look at it when I, in those moments when I couldn't understand what was being said, but that, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Maybe so, just turn the audio off completely and just do that. But anyway, just, yeah. all right. So anyways, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, you want to talk no, about no. Billy mummy who is, the- well, yeah, yeah. The fish heads thing. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I'm sure like most uh, uh, gaming nerds, I you grew up listening to Dr. Demento on whatever radio station it had. Um, but uh, the song Fish Heads, just specifically that one jumps out at me. There's Because I was in eighth grade when that was on. And so every Sunday night when I probably should be sleeping, getting ready for, you know, for school the next day, I'd be listening to Dr. Demento and, of course, recording on my cassette player, you know, whatever I could uh, that came on. And it was crazy. But I remember you know, the Fish Heads song, man, that song. If you've never heard it, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but it is, uh, it's just one of those bizarre, bizarre songs. And, uh, it's hilarious. I always thought it was really funny, especially the near the end when they, um, were talking about the fish heads being, um, never eating, uh, what is it? They never eat, um, like they never eat Japanese food in Italian restaurants with, with Oriental women or something like that. It's, it's a great, it's a great song. I just, I saw that and it's crazy. All right. Yeah. So Billy Mummy is actually a very popular voice actor he does fry on futurama amongst many other things um and he 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 had a small cameo in the new show he was the doctor that she sort of left for dead and took his lab coat oh that was him that was billy mummy yeah oh i didn't know that oh that's cool okay i love that kind of stuff yeah all right so anything else um geez no i think that's enough (laughs) (laughs) um okay um so for me, I'll, well, actually, because I always forget yes, to do what this. what are you doing? Well, I'll mention this first. We still have our Twitch follower giveaway thing. Once we get to 500 Twitch followers, we're going to give away a copy of the D&D uh, Rules Cyclopedia from DriveThruRPG. We keep nice. adding one or two a week. We're, we're slowly getting there. I think hopefully someday we'll have enough that I can actually give one of those away. Um, so kind of the big things right now, I went to Origins uh, this past weekend, though. I only Ooh. went for one day because I was on vacation. And then came back home Friday and then drove up Friday night to Origins, which was a mistake. Uh, and then I stayed there all day Saturday. And then I'm like, you know what? I know I'm not going to go to my Sunday game. There's no reason for me to go back to the hotel and go to sleep. So I just drove home, got home at 2.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, and then slept. And then I'm still playing catch up. Yeah. But, but I had a great time with what I did while I was there. So I'm still glad that I went. I just think I probably should have waited till Saturday and drove up in the morning. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, it yeah. was fun. Um, I ran my Scooby-Doo Dread. It was another awesome session. People really seemed to enjoy it. I, I had a lot of fun running it. I actually had two extra people show up hoping that there would be spots. I'm like, I'm sorry, there can only be four. I got four characters. It doesn't work with more than four. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah, because you can't be, I suppose, you, unless you had somebody be Scrappy-Doo and Scooby-Dum. So somebody which... mentioned Scrappy, and I got angry because well, yeah. Scrappy-Doo is the shimp of Scooby-Doo universe. So No. In my in my canon, Scrappy does not exist. Uh, but yeah, but but someone actually did say, you know, she could play Scrappy. I'm like, no, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then I did the panel, as Mumphrey mentioned. Um, I did a panel. I've done it a couple times before. Uh, this it's an intro to DMing panel. It's for basic level introductory advice. Um, didn't have anybody that could join me this time, so I kind of threw it out to Twitter saying, hey, you know, I'd like to have at least one other person. It's fun to bounce ideas off of. And then Jason Hobbs from the Hobbs and Friends of the OSR podcast, 
uh, was able to join me kind of last like like last, last week maybe, uh, but we were able to throw something together. He did a great job, and I thought it was a really good panel. I just I screwed up one thing. I forgot to tell people to hold questions till the end. Oops. And we started getting question after question, and some of the questions were more comments. Um, and I and I thought, well, I'll just let it go. I'll let it go. And eventually, I had to be like, okay, we're done with questions till the end. We're not going to get through this because some people just don't care about the questions of your specific group. So that was probably the only thing about it is I really wish I would have said hold your – because we had a time built in for questions, and uh, it was just a little – it, it kind of ruined the flow a little bit, I guess. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, from the, probably the biggest news, though, for me um, is I have decided, because I I have so many projects, why not add another one, that I'm going to try to kickstart a module next year. This is something we've talked about for probably two-plus years, and I just, you know, it was always kind of on the back burner, never really did anything with it. And I'm like, screw it, I'm just going to do it. And um, so I've been talking about on the on the Discord Couple people in the network have already successfully kickstarted projects before. Lucas uh, at Ember Design Studios has done like four Kickstarters modules, always successful. He's published a couple on his own outside of that. So he's been giving me a ton of advice. Let me look into his like Kickstarter budgets and how much stuff costs and getting all that. And then I've already got the first draft written. I'm really excited about it. The, the, the goal here is this is like a my first adventure. So it's designed for someone who's never ran a game before. It's going to be front loaded with a lot of tips and tricks, like the the DMing panel we did. Like all that's going to be there in text form. Uh, it's going to be step by step. Like here's how you do initiative. Here's how you do a skill check. And then the thing I'm most excited about is I'm going to record several sessions of me running this, and then interlink audio snippets to say like if you want to hear me run a skill check here, click this hyperlink, and then you'll be able to listen to me run that skill check. So that if you're not quite getting it you can hear us do it. Or you can just listen to the whole thing if you wanted to. So I'll have like, you know, one complete version. And then I may just take like, in this case, everyone failed the skill check. So I'll put that in there. In this case, one person passed. And just throughout the whole thing, anytime the DM's a little confused, click a button, they can hear me run it. And then hopefully that will help them with their prep. Uh, and then we're also going to do player guides. So all the players will get a pre-gen. It'll be like a mechanical cheat sheet. And they'll be like, here's, how we role play the character, you're free to do your own thing, but you know, they're probably kind of arrogant. They're probably want to show other people up and, and give players who've never played tips on how to role play their character. So that's the goal. That's very multimedia of you. Actually, that's a really cool idea. It's uh, it's essentially, it's a, it's a modern adaptation. If you remember the old uh, audio CD stuff that TSR used to put out way back um, with the, the first quest and stuff when they had the CD of either sound effects or intercut scenes or whatnot. Um, but this is, this is a much more practical application. And I, I like that. I think that's a great idea, man. Well, again, it was great. I did two years ago when I came up with it. I, I think other people have now jumped because there's a shadow, of the demon Lord product that actually does this too. And that's where I got the term directed adventure. Cause that's what they call theirs where there's audio, ex, you know, information that it kind of supplements the, the, the module. So as always great idea, poor execution. People have got in front of me but I still want to do it. Um, so I think we're going to try to kickstart it fairly early next year with a pretty long development cycle because I've never actually done this before. Right. And there'll probably be Kickstarter levels for people who want to be playtesters. Uh, you know, they'll have like an alpha group and then a beta, then a, you know, Charlie or whatever. And then I, those might be the things that I record for the audio eventually. I, I don't know. But uh, 
I mean, it'll be a modest goal. I, I don't know the numbers yet, but it's not like I'm looking for $50,000, you know. I probably need like right. like a grand to make it happen and hopefully enough to pay for art uh, and make it really cool. So we're working on it. That's awesome. That's really cool. And, and good for you for doing so. I think that it's, you know, uh, I don't think that that, that that window for, you know, those types of projects has has closed yet. Yeah. You know, because you, you, see, you see links to that kind of stuff all the time. And these are projects that get funded, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, I've, I've seen a few that have exploded. I certainly wouldn't mind if I ended up making $2 million, but I'm not counting <laughs> on it. Uh, yeah. You know, I think like five grand would be fantastic because that should cover all my expenses and then some. For sure. uh, and then the last thing I'll mention that I'm working, actually two, one really quickly because they're somewhat related, is I'm going to be running Marvel Superheroes this Tuesday uh, at the local game store. They do like every month. It's actually a game cafe. Uh, I'm going to be, I've just, I got an itch. I want to run this. So I've been messing around. It's a terrible system, but I love superheroes. And I have so much love for the system because it was my second ever RPG. Um, so I, I used to own that. And I bought the basic set and I think I bought the advanced set. I somehow, I don't know how or why or when even, but I got rid of it. And it's like the one game I kind of regret getting rid of because I think when we did play it, we didn't do it right. Oh, of course not. I know I didn't. I didn't do anything yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So same thing. I got rid of mine, but I found this once again, half price books. Uh, I got it for like three bucks and it had like the whole, the, just the basic one, but it had the campaign guide, which is all the superheroes and villains. It had a bunch of little stand up minis and it even came with, if I can find it, I was really surprised um, do you I, remember the, the the sketch part that's in there where you can sketch it? They give you the body type, the body shape, and you can sketch your the stuff that your hero has around there. I always uh, thought that was cool. So this was in there, and I think this is something someone has like homebrewed. It's basically a powers wheel, and oh, wow. it, it rotates. And I, I don't know if I can see it. So basically, you line up like what your power is, and then it will give you the ranges for the color, and it just rotates. It's supposed to have like a pin in the middle. I'm, right, I'm right. rotating the wrong one. So the back one is the one that you would rotate around. So I'm going to take this with me as well so I don't have to rely on the chart, but the chart works as well. But I'm really excited about it, so I've been working on some pre-gens. It's the idea is that half the Avengers have suddenly disappeared for no reason, and <laughs> Captain America desperately needs to fill out the Avengers. So these are like C-team, C-level heroes hoping to make it into the big leads, and while they're there for tryouts, something probably will happen. Nice. So but it's when, like he hires the mystery men. Exactly. Pretty much. Um, have you watched Cloak and Dagger, the new Marvel show that's on Freeform? I have not. I've seen the promos for it. And actually, I think I remember even watching the trailer for it. It actually looks kind of good. It does. I, I really like the first two episodes. The third one, I watched it, but there was stuff going on because it was like the last day of vacation. So I didn't really pay as much attention to it. But the first two, I thought were really well done. Hmm. I wasn't expecting a whole lot you know, from Freeform. I don't really familiar with that network but I, I can't imagine they have a huge budget budget no. I, I know of the characters but i don't i don't have never actually read any source material but i was very impressed with those first two episodes so i'm looking hmm. forward to continuing it nice Alrighty. oh wait did somebody did somebody say session zero or were you just recovering from yeah i just been talking so much i needed <laughs> to but since you said it i'll go ahead and take another another one while we're at it let's go all right so we'll move into Everyone's favorite part of the show, which is where we make complete fools of ourselves with our improv games. The oh first one we like to play is called 10 Things. 10 Things is an improv, like, warm-up game. The idea is that we will give each other a prompt for 10 examples of a something. 
And then we want to try to come up with those examples as quickly as possible. Immediacy is the goal. So accuracy is not as important as immediacy, but my brain won't let me do that. So I always try to be somewhat accurate. Okay. Um, so you are the guest. Would you like to give me a prompt first or would you like to receive the prompt first? Uh, I do believe, um, as I was from the, when I watched other, uh, episodes of detention that I'm, it's, it's tradition for me to receive the prompt first and then, then I, then I give one. Okay. So. <clears throat> uh, okay. I always like to try to tie these back to something we've already talked about. So hopefully this won't be terrible hopefully be easy but <laughs> I, so you, you're playing deadlands and yes. you're you're being the the uh was the reporter muckrakers as they used to be called yes the, yep yeah you All can right. call them that so give me 10 headlines that would be on the tombstone is it epitaph tombstone tomb, tombstone epitaph epitaph give me 10 headlines that someone might read over the course of say a campaign um okay uh a man bites dog and continues eating. What? Uh, Billy the Kid grows up. Two. Uh, Wild Bill Hickok uh, sighted in Kansas and then period, but he's dead. <laughs> Three. <laughs> uh, General Armstrong Custer's hair cut and missing. Four. <laughs> um... Uh, did somebody see President uh, Lincoln? Uh, Lincoln, who was also, of course, dead this time. Five. Um, Mojave Rattler tamed and in uh, captivity. Six. Uh, um, White Earp and Brothers uh, meet uh, whatever Kurt Russell's character's name was from Bone Tomahawk. Oh, so that was a. <laughs> Great but disturbing movie. Love that movie. Oh, yeah. Love that movie. It's such a good movie. My, my wife even watched that movie and she was blown away by it. Um, okay, let's see. Um, oh my gosh, now I'm starting to draw a blank. Oh, again, uh, accuracy isn't important. Okay, uh, Deadwood uh, now changing its name to Undeadwood. <laughs> I think that might be the best one. Yeah. <laughs> hey. uh, uh, the city of Denver legalizes marijuana. <laughs> and oh, um, uh, the uh, Confederate American states uh, now, uh, uh, yeah, Confederate American states break apart once more. And let's see, well, that would be 10. Was that 10? Yeah, okay, I was, I I was sure was if nine. you were doing like a, a compound sentence there or not. So oh, yes. gosh. No, no, no. Oh, All right, okay. So that 10. Yay. That would be 10 things. <laughs> that is really more difficult than I thought it was. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Again, when we do the audio version, I always edit my pauses. So it sounds like I'm really smart. <laughs> Live version's a little, little bit more realistic here. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So now I have to give you one. Yes. Should, does it need to be gaming related or can it just be anything? It can be anything. Okay. Whatever you would like. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to make this one moderately difficult. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, 10 flavors of ice cream that you would serve your players as a precursor 
to that night's gaming activity. That so so in other words, the flavor had, must somehow tie in with what's going to happen that night. Okay, uh, Rocky Toad, um, chocolate pudding. Oh, nice. Um, green slime. Uh, again, accuracy does have a be fit in there. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, cotton brandy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, that's just so hard. Um, vanilla. I'm just not feeling it tonight. Okay, yeah. fair. I won't say Neapolitan, but they're fighting Napoleon because everyone always calls that Napoleon ice cream. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> I like that. That's six. That's good. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Dwarven Nuggets, which Rocky were like fudge. Uh, yep. Or was it Moose Tracks? We'll call it um, like Troll Tracks. Oh, nice. Okay. That's uh, eight. You got two more. Oh, man. Um, uh, peach Paladin. Hmm, interesting. And okay. one more. Uh, oh, man. Um, sugar-free something. Sugar-free. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sugar-free. Sugar sugar so in other words, it's not a sweet scenario. Yes. Very nice. Okay, I like that. That was 10. That was good. I was wondering if you'd come up with some sort of uh, like uh, a total party thrill or something, uh, but, I, or, I, but I couldn't think of one either. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like, I mean, going back and, you know, if I had time, I could probably come up with some really good ones, but, but in the moment, a blueberry beholder, where were you five <laughs> seconds ago? Thank you. Awesome. All right, That's that has been great. our 10 things. Now we're going to move into what is normally the meat and potatoes kind of the biggest part of the show. And this is what we call used books. And this is where we're going to take a look back at a previous campaign that we have played. Maybe one that exploded or ended poorly or ended abruptly. It doesn't have to be, but those usually end up making good conversation fodder. And the idea is like a good used books. There's going to be notes in the margins. We're going to look for lessons learned that we can use to make our next games better. Uh, Mumphrey, fingers will be after this segment. We do 10 things and then we do fingers. So, Chris, once again, you are the guest. Do you have a campaign you'd like to talk about tonight? Yeah, actually, you know, I think um, the the one I'll pick on was probably what at the time uh, I referred to as my most successful campaign that I had ever done. Um, one, because there was a very distinct beginning uh, there was a middle and there was an end. Oh, that, that end is so rare. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. It's, it's funny how rare it, it actually is. Um, and, and, or let's put it this way where, and then it's even rarer to have a good ending, mm. you know, where you can have that. And this, um, this campaign. So it, we started with, uh, it was third edition and it was in, you know, this, um, it was in a fantasy world of, of my own creation. I had a, a number of different elements in there and everybody wanted to play. And I was really feeling my GM grew. And this was the first campaign that I did where I had my overall plot to it. And, you know, Fear the Boot, of course, has talked about the whole group template idea. And this was well before I was ever on there. But and we didn't have a group template. I basically let the characters kind of, or the players make up whatever kind of characters they wanted, whether from, I explained the various geographic regions and we, we talked about that. Um, and uh, it was, this was a campaign where I learned the important lesson of how 
to get the real player investment of um, integrating them in their characters arc into the overall plot of the story. So somehow, some way I needed to try and, and I had, I had, I had players over the course of this, it was like two or three years. Um, uh, I had players come in and out. I had a couple PCs die. And then, so you'd have new characters come in. You'd have to try and work them into, um, into the plot. So they would actually have that, uh, some level of character investment. So they weren't just like along for the adventure, you know, um, and I accomplished that by ripping something off from Shadowrun. It did it at the time, and Earthdawn also kind of did this. Um, oh yeah, Rocky Rogue. That it's right there. And that was amazing. Damn it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's I. I'm, I'm looking at it here too. But uh, uh, so using those using those questions, which I kind of tailored to to a certain degree. Um, a little bit towards the campaign, but then also just a little bit about them personally. I took those bits and pieces of information and looked at my overall plot and thought, okay, where in the storyline that I've developed, can I work them in so that they become, and they'll interact with the storyline. So it's, you know, so in it, by doing that, it allowed each PC at certain times to have that spotlight for one or two sessions um, as we went through a certain, you know, arc in the campaign. Um, and then also to, you know, thwart the big bad's efforts in this certain spot and have a real reason to see the whole thing through to the end. And I never had really done that to that level before. And it was, um, and I think I surprised myself at how well it worked and the players were pretty invested as well. So we were, we were regular gamers. We kept going. Uh, we had consistency of play and it just really, it, it taught me how important that particular lesson was. Um, and that's something when I walked away from that campaign and I was very, very satisfied with the ending. And I, and I knew the players were too, because I had more than one of them say, we have to do a sequel adventure. We have to find out, we have to visit these guys later on, you know, at some point in life. And uh, I never had had players say that to me before. And uh, nor had I had ever been in a game where if I was a player, felt that way like oh yeah i want to see what happens to these guys five years from now or something like that um and everybody had a very satisfying ending and they're all were happy with their individual uh resolutions um and so taking that lesson and i've it's something i've tried to apply in every campaign i've run since in a way and just to to work the, and it's you know it's funny because like i look at it now and i think about it now it's like well duh of course you're supposed to do that but you you don't necessarily think that way you're just kind of looking to have some fun you know you want to either be heroic or slice some monsters or do something really cool or have some neat dice rolls or whatever and in here you know no it's actually why don't we try and develop this really cool story and then that other stuff can happen as well later on down the line or in, in addition to um and yeah it just became this this learning experience for me in that regard and it's something that has that has affected every game i've tried to run since you know in in a long form sense anyway so i know this is something we've touched on before about how how rare it is at least in my experience for a campaign to come to an ending at all much less as you said a satisfying ending so do you think there's an element of saying we're only going to play this game for six months or we're only going to play it for 10 sessions where that gives you the ability as the game master to sort of 
aim for an ending rather than, because I always played forever campaigns. We just started a campaign and it would just go basically until it died. Like there was never any plan for any sort of arc. It was just one adventure after the other, after the other. It was like, you know, it was like the A-Team or something, you know, it's like a TV show. There's no actual ending. So do you think having a set ending is something that is helpful in trying to craft that or can it just work because it just makes sense and you, you go there organically? I like having, I like having a, um, I like the idea of knowing plot wise what the ending was with the, with the two guys I'm playing with right now who are in young and Holt. We did a previous campaign um, that was, it was Savage Worlds, but it was fantasy, Savage Worlds fantasy. And I had, again, I had a specific arc that I knew I wanted to end where I wanted to end things. Um, I, I never said to them, I'm thinking it's going to be this many sessions, but I always kept driving them or doing my best to try and move the story along to this, to this eventual ending. Um, I, I do think that it does help. Um, you know, whether, whether or not you sit down as a group and discuss it beforehand, you know, and if you as the GM say, you know, I'm looking at a story where I'd like to see a group of characters, you know, start from the streets and eventually have their own kingdom um, or do that kind of thing. Um, whether you, you know, you can certainly have those kinds of discussions. And I think that that's, you know, why not go ahead, go, go for it. I, I think that you, you don't necessarily have to, but you can still go towards an ending. You know, if you have, you, cause you can have, you can have a discussion where you can say, I'd like to have characters who start from the streets, rise to great prominence, and then just leave it at that. You know, that can be your internal idea. And then you maybe just lay the seeds of that, just the, maybe just a portion of that say, why don't we have characters who just start from nothing and then see where it goes. Even if you already know where you might like it to go. Um, I don't know. It almost seems like I just kind of contradicted myself well, there a little bit, but it, I don't know. It's uh well, let me interject because I, because I, because I, I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, I'm on record saying that I think it's okay for a DM to manipulate players through information as mm-hmm. you know, as long, as long as it's for a, a, a good purpose, it's not just to screw with them. Um, so what if as the DM, you know, we're going to play this, Maybe not exactly 10 sessions, but you're aiming for like 10 sessions. But you don't tell the players that. I think that's what, what you were kind of touching on a little bit. So you're building towards something, but they don't know that. And the reason I said this is because I'm like that work. I'm watching a TV show, and sometimes I'll hit pause and go, oh, there's 15 minutes left. I know this has to now get wrapped up in 10, 15 minutes. So knowing that there's 15 minutes left, kind of like there's like a meta conversation in my head where I start going, okay, well, clearly this is how it's going to end, or or this is what's going to happen if I didn't know that, if I just didn't know when the show was going to end, I think it would be a better experience in some ways. And I'm trying to figure out, would that be a better experience for the players? Or is the, the idea of them being able to know that there's a climax coming and, and help build it, is that better than the surprise of not knowing? I think that if you're running the, if there is a, a discernible plot line going on, I think that they, I think the players are going to instinctively know that they're getting to they're getting to an end you know or they're they're coming to some sort of end of some some sort of arc whether or not they're going to continue on another arc there's um i think that they instinctively know you know something's coming and 
maybe they don't make the connection that oh not only is something coming but that also happens to be the end of every, end of it all um but i think that they know you know and, and i think that they probably should because then that shows that the story is moving in the right direction that they're getting it which is the other important thing you know there's there's uh, how many times you know you've you had those conversations where you like throw out this cornucopia of plot hooks that might all, you know, eventually all lead to the same result and the players don't pick up on any of them at all. And then they go completely in the direction, but you're like thinking in your head, it's so obvious right there in front of you. Why aren't you picking this up? You know, so so if they're aware of this stuff, then I think that's that's a good thing. Whether or not they realize it's happening is another, but if they're aware that the ending is coming, despite whatever that might mean, right. uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, think, thinking that through a little bit, you're completely, you know, on the, on the nose. If we set up the adventure, you know, there's a, there's an evil power in the swamp. It's like a necromancer, but we don't know that yet. There's children going missing in the village. The players are supposed to go into the swamp and they find out that there's like, you know, bullywug minions and they eventually find out there's a necromancer and they go to the necromancer and they have the big fight with the necromancer that's kind of the end of that particular story. That doesn't mean you can't just continue on, but, but they kind of know that like when they're in the necromancer's castle in the middle of the swamp, this is the end of this particular story. So I don't know that I like, I don't think you could surprise them with the ending and it'd be satisfying because then it would have to come out of nowhere and not really make sense, I guess. So I, so yeah, thinking that through, I don't think su- the surprise, I guess you could still halfway do it because they don't know that you're planning on ending at the necromancer. They may think that's just the first part of a larger story and that, you mm-hmm. know, who is this necromancer? Where do they come from? Why were they needing the kids? You know, is there a bigger plan somewhere else? And then you're just like, no, you, you beat the necromancer. Good job. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, and it, I think too, if it was something, if it's a situation like that and, but every, in, in, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, that was, that was, you know, that was the best adventure campaign ever. This was great. I love these characters. There's, I, I want to keep going with this. You, you know, you can theoretically do a season two because there's, there's always things that they don't know about, you know, oh, the necromancer's brother, or it's, you know, or when you killed him that released this particular piece of dark magic somewhere else into the world. And now it's infected somewhere else. So you've either got to go, and can you know pick up your sword again to track this stuff down, uh, and then continue that quest. Or now vengeance is coming your way. So when you're on your ranch thinking you're retired, and your cattle start showing up dead, now you, suddenly you have another problem. Um, you know, so I think you know it's always, and it doesn't have to be something you know an obvious sequel like you know like the end of the Flash Gordon movie when you know clearly it was Ming or somebody who picked up his ring. You know, so it has the question mark after the end, you know, it can still just end and then be that way. But then, you know, there can be a sequel, uh, even if it's not an obvious that it should be one. Again, I've said many times that I try to run my games these days, like an action TV show, but I think I do that like an individual episode or like the themes, like it's pulp action. The heroes are really never going to die unless it's just they want to die or it's like very heroic. You know, they're, they're, they're always going to find a way out. The, the drama is how they do it and how it changes them. But I've never really thought about it in terms of season arcs where we're going to play for 12 or 13 sessions. At the end of that, we're going to have a season finale. We're going to 
do something big. We're going to change the world in some way. We're going to have a revelation. And we can always keep playing, but now it's a different season. And it's going to be a mm-hmm. different adventure. There might be some remnants of that, you know, some flashbacks or some baggage. But it's not, it's not just a linear forever campaign that there's really no satisfying arc. It's just, you know, basically linear progression. But to have these seasonal arcs, I think, makes a lot more sense to try at least try to aim for that than the forever campaign. You know, it, it's, and sometimes I wonder too, you know, when we, we talk about these kinds of things, um, is it, are we hanging on to a either old ideas um, of what we wanted, you know, when we were younger and had the time to do so versus, you know, time now when it's like, Oh, well, um, yeah, no, I've really only got time to game for about six months before, you know, my life becomes crazy and I won't be able to come to the table for a while again, you know, and there's just, there's, you have those, you have those scheduling issues. I mean, cause I know for me, uh, I prefer, I still really prefer a long form campaign type thing like I'm doing right now with Deadlands or I've done in the past, but it is really difficult to do that. It has become excruciatingly difficult in our group as a whole because um, the, the group that's in the podcast is not our full group, but our full group as a whole, we have tried unsuccessfully a half dozen plus times to get going with some sort of long form campaign. And we've only been successful as a, as a full group um, in, in the, you know, eight plus odd years that we've been together because we would try something for a few sessions and then we we'd all kind of get scattered for a couple months, lose interest in that game as you often do, and then try again, something else. And so it has become, you know, it has become very difficult. And even though I enjoy one shot, you know, con length games immensely, um, it still doesn't leave me as, I don't want to say creatively satisfied, but gamely satisfied as I do when I play a uh, long form uh, campaign style storytelling type. I just, it's just, it's not quite the same thing. No, I, I, again, I completely agree. I think the reality of, of the situation with my life as it is, the idea of playing a forever campaign is just, it's just dumb. It's a, it's a pipe dream. Cause, cause I know, cause every campaign we've played for the show has died because we can never sustain one. Uh, just, you know, my schedule, my player schedules, like, you know, all the people that I play right now, we all are married. We all have multiple kids. We all have jobs and sometimes stuff just happens, you know, and then you have a, like one player can't make one week. Another player can't make the next week. I'm on vacation for a week and now it's been six weeks since we played. You lose a lot of momentum. So I understand that. But at the same time, like sometimes when you get like a, like an empty notebook, you know, like at least when I was a kid, I got an empty notebook. The possibilities of that notebook were endless. I loved having a brand new notebook with nothing in it. I was like, I can put whatever I want in here. And the idea of having a forever campaign that has the potential of being the greatest game I've ever played. I love the, the idea that it's possible, even though reality is it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, um, <sighs> It, it, it's 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 the it's the dragon that you chase uh, forever, and, it, and it's and it's weird, and that's part of the reason. Um, I'm not to, not to keep going back to the the Deadlands group. We we gamed this past Friday, which was th- basically three months to the day from the last time we had sat down to play, and 
normally and in every other circumstance that I've ever had, that has literally been the death knell of any sort of gaming. If you have that long of a break, forget it. It's not, you're not going to recapture whatever magic you thought you had the last few times you played and it will not be the same. It just won't. But I don't, and I don't know, I still haven't figured out why it is, but for some reason we still sat down and within, you know, after 10 minutes of just regular conversation, we got into the game and it was like we had just played the week before. I, I don't know why that, ha- why, what, what is that magic ingredient that made that work? I don't know if it was just because all three of us just wanted it to work really bad. So we, so we made it work mm-hmm. um, or what it was, but it's, it was, I don't know. It's weird. It's I've never experienced that before in three decades actually having it work like that. It's crazy. Unless it was, unless it was something where, you know, I was like 18 and, you know, sitting down, but then we weren't telling the same kinds of stories. So being able to, you know, kill monsters, take their stuff and do, you know, crazy cool things. That was the magic. And that just always seemed to happen every time because that's easy to recreate. So I just had this crazy idea that I want to try to play a, a game that is like a meta commentary on playing the game where like the things that you're trying to defeat are scheduling and time and, you know, like, like time away from the table. Like I have no idea how that would work, but I just think it would be, if I ever figure it out, it's like the characters have to fight the personification of time or scheduling or something. Uh, I just think that would be kind of a fun game and more than likely it would die three sessions in and complete the circle. (laughs) Awesome. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. I think there's a lot of fodder for that and it's something maybe we can touch on uh, again in a future episode, but uh, we're already, we've already talked so much about other stuff. We kind of got to get moving along. (laughs) Uh, So the next thing we're going to do is everyone's actual favorite part of the show, except for mine. I hate it. And that is where have my fingers been? This is another improv game where each of us will once again give the other one a prompt for a place that you have been or are at. And then we will then try to create a little scene like, oh, hey, Tommy, I didn't know you were coming to the 7-Eleven. And you have a little scene back and forth. If you want to be like Scott, that a-hole, he'll bring in a third character because he thinks it's funny. Uh, But you try to have a beginning, have a middle, have an end within that scene. So, Chris, once again, you're the guest. Do you want to give a prompt first or receive a prompt first? Uh, I'm going to give a prompt first only because I think I've got one. Okay. Um, okay. So. Um, well, hold on. I got a drink first. And then okay. we, have, we have to do the song. Without the song, it oh, just doesn't sure. work. Right, right, right. That's right. I got yelled at once because we didn't do the song. Okay. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? <laughs> All right. Um, sorry, I'm answering one thing in chat here. Sure. I love that. All right. Your fingers. Okay, so you are um, backstage at a uh, quiz game show. Um, that is, I will say, it's part quiz, part athletic competition, and your your characters are, um, or your fingers are, uh, a couple that uh, had a bad breakup uh, a year ago. Oh my god! And, okay, and they had a bad breakup a year ago, but they didn't know that they were going to be competing against each other on this game show. Sorry, I just got a, a a tweet that I don't understand. Um, okay, Sarah, I, I know it's been a while. I mean, you look great, by the way. I mean, really, you look great. But tonight, we need to work together because this this prize money 
could absolutely change our lives. And who knows what, you know, what the future might hold. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking? I wasn't paying attention. I was on my phone talking to my new boyfriend. Okay, Helen. Maybe this, this is why things didn't work out. Because you never listen to, oh, we got to go out. Yay. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. I need to take two seconds because I just got a tweet. I, this, I'm confused. Sorry, I apologize. This is not good television or radio. Did, did somebody tweet at you to tell you to get that asshole off your show and get somebody worthwhile? No, okay, phew. Okay, good. Someone disliked a tweet that said that the Akatacon Kickstarter was going live next week, but this was a a, a a a tweet from like five months ago, and I thought it was something new, and I thought someone was telling people that there's a Kickstarter. Like, no, there's no Kickstarter next week. So, okay, much better. Okay, right. back on the game. All right, so sing me the song. Okay, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers. Your fingers are in a um, medieval time style Baskin Robbins. And they're asking for samples of all the new ice creams. <laughs> oh, shit. Now I can't remember the. Blue <laughs> one. Okay. I do remember Rocky Rogue. So that was a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, is one is one the server and one the customer? If you want to do it that way, you can. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> ching, ching. Oh, welcome to uh, uh, Sir Baskins and Lady Robbins. Uh, Thirty-one flavors of medieval goodness. Uh, how may I be of service to you today? What can I uh, part? What 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 scoop of lovely uh, milk, frozen milk goodness, can I put into your cone this morning? Well, actually, I would like to um, have a dish. I think I'm I'm, I'm a little uh, <clears throat> gluten intolerant. Uh, do you have gluten-free cones? Um, I'm sorry, sir, but you do not have gluten-free cones. Uh, our cones are sugar cones, or the um, uh, or the ones that are just uh, blown styrofoam cones. Uh, yes. Well, then let's make it a dish, please. I will take a uh, two scoops, if you'd be so kind. Um, but okay. And uh, what flavor would you like, sir? Well, hmm, let's see. What do you have here? What is this? Uh, what is this? Rocky Rogue. Ah, yes, Rocky Rogue. That is. Um, uh, it's, it's a chocolate ice cream with uh, chunks gathered by the finest uh, gung farmers, uh, uh, night soil farmers uh, in the land. Hmm, night soil. What's that, uh, sir? You're better off not knowing. <laughs> Um, I see. Um, uh, what is um, what is this uh, uh, lady uh, Lady Godiva chocolate over here? A uh, Lady Godiva chocolate is um, where someone um, <clears throat> uh, who looks like uh, Tessa Thompson uh, comes out and uh, puts. Well, we, you know, it's better. I'm just not describing it. So this joke is really going nowhere. Good. Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> um, and let's see. I need one more flavor before I complete the skit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is um, oh oh oh! I oh, remember there. What is the pallet dish? Oh, uh, this the uh, pallet dish is um, a rather uh, lawfully good assortment of a number of flavors uh, assembled in uh, a good structure, and it tastes good, uh, and it will make you feel good. Oh, um, well, you know what? Let's have that. Okay, well then you need to actually pick out flavors, sir. Oh, and there's a wait, how do I pick up flavors? Oh, well, there's a there's a, a chart over here. It's uh, developed by Sir Gygax, uh, and that's where my <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yay! 
Fantastic. I think we both set records for length of time that, that they have lasted. Uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for playing our reindeer games. Hopefully those of you watching now in the future got some enjoyment out of our misery. All right. Actually, I see that I see that you dropped a number of viewers as my skit was going. <laughs> I really apologize for that. And it's probably that it hit 10 o'clock. They might have other shows they're watching or other things to do. Um, so we'll move into the last part of the show, more or less. Uh, it is cryptozoology. And this is we're going to take a look at a monster. Uh, it doesn't have to be D&D, though it often is. Some ways that we may have used this creature in the past. Maybe talk about some ways that we think we might be able to use it in the future. Chris, what monster have you brought for us tonight? I am going to, uh, since it's uh, kind of top of mind for me, I'm going to uh, pick on Deadlands a little bit some more. Okay. And the uh, monster that I have um, chosen is out of the Deadlands book. It's known as the Poison Woman. And the Poison Woman is a, uh, a creature that has the ability to essentially kill PCs by feeding them food that they cook and poisoning it with uh, fragments of their brain and things that they will pull out and drop into the food at uh, hand. That essentially is kind of the, the base creature. Um, the picture that's in the, not the book that you showed, but I guess the previous version of Deadlands Reloaded, uh, is a kind of, it's, it's, it's very obviously horrifying in the sense that her, she has a very sunken in face and she has kind of really wild hair and everything. And from the appearance of the picture, seems just like a monster. Um, I looked at that and I thought to myself, okay, this is, this is a really cool thing. I can actually build a neat story around this, but I need to change the way that she looks uh, and the way that she acts. And so I essentially just turned her in her parents to be that just of a normal person, uh, built it around the idea that she was a, uh, the sole survivor of a town where everyone appeared to be murdered in one way or another. Um, and then, um, from there, she integrated herself into the, the, the character's group, uh, and it was eventually plotting a way to take them out and, uh, not kill them. And this is where the creature, I kind of changed her abilities in a certain way. Um, she is able to turn them into, um, essentially zombies. And through her ability. So rather than just kill them outright, uh, she kind of converts them into her own little undead force that she's able to kind of take around and do. And so by the way, I guess I kind of looked at it as I looked at it as, as this, this monster is the, the base recipe. And I kind of put my own spin on it, so to speak, or put my own uh, extra ingredients into this recipe to make this monster something a little bit different, uh, but yet, um, familiar if there's people who are more who are familiar with that particular game's lore and the creatures, uh, and then um, uh, just kind of run with it from there, and use it because I think you looking at the looking at the creature if you were to encounter her and she looked unusual in any way, shape, or form, character player flag red flags go up right away. They get suspicious. I know they're going to get suspicious eventually anyway, but I might as well make it at least questionable that maybe their um, suspicions aren't warranted that maybe she's just strange or maybe she's shell-shocked from the situation that they found her in there's enough reasonable doubt in there that that the i can move the story along a little bit more make it a little bit more interesting 
And then because of the additional ability she has when the big showdown comes, it now then plays to one of the central themes of the game, and that's the horror aspect of it. And so still we'll get to encounter that part of it, um, but just in a way that I don't want to say is a bit more controlled, but is maybe has a bit more good story appeal to it. So I a couple of thoughts that aren't really with the monster specific, but we'll move into that in a second. But but mm-hmm. what I found interesting about that is is one, this isn't a monster that you that the danger necessarily is getting into a fight with it, though this creature can still be deadly because it has some resistances. Yes. But it's it's almost more it's like a puzzle. It's like a mystery. It's like, do we trust this person? If we do, we could be screwed. And if we don't, then we just kind of bypass all the mystery and nuance and we just, you know, hit things with a stick. But what I think is interesting is how is the DM, do you handle, I don't want them to just fight this thing. So I need to make sure they don't immediately know it's dangerous. So I'm going to describe it in a way that makes it seem innocuous. But then if you do that well, and you've convinced them this nothing, and then she poisons and murders your PCs, that's kind of a dick move. It is. So so what's the balance between trying to let the players slowly start to become suspicious without giving it away or without doing a gotcha because you described it in a way that didn't seem dangerous? I think in, in, in this particular case, and you can even adapt it to really any case, if it's, you know, if it, if it becomes a situation where it is a save or die, sort of situation but and that's because that's the way that the 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 monster is statted out um you have to and you're going to be initially deceptive you've got to you've got to balance that end out to where um, maybe it's you know save or sick or save and eventually die but there's still there's still a way out of that uh trap so to speak you know whether it's if you kill her, the magic is taken care of. Um, or if you, or maybe you're only gonna you're only gonna end up dying if it's repeated exposure. It has to take more than one dose or more than one uh, exposure to uh, that ability to um, cause the character to die and, and, and convert. Um, so it, it's it's because I re- I do I, I like the idea of being deceptive in a certain way like that to you know waylay any of those sorts of suspicions but if you're gonna do something that would be a dick move because you're absolutely right that would be a dick move to do that you've got to give them that opportunity then to be able to get out of that um it doesn't have to be easy but it has to be an opportunity you know whether it's and whether it's through a die roll or whether it's through certain actions you know like in this case if they just um since they have to eat something of hers that she makes and puts part of her essence into um, you know, they can simply say, I'm not going to eat any more of her food because I just don't trust her. Okay. Well, now they're taking a path to get out of there. They, they might still not be, they might still not have their suspicions confirmed, but at the very least though, they've, they've taken care of that angle of it and they might, and they'll still eventually have some sort of showdown, but they've now avoided, you know, the real nasty trap and now they just have to eventually square off with her, you know? So there has to be, there has to be, some sort of path out. Otherwise, yeah, then, you, then you've essentially railroaded them into death. So New York Tater mentioned in chat uh, that you can kill an NPC first uh, and then slowly start to cause symptoms to the PC, which is very classic. That's how you show there's danger in the world is you have an NPC that gets killed. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a dangerous place. So it causes the PCs to be cautious. Um, my first instinct was what you had said first, that you change it from a 
death saving throw to a sickness saving throw that can either be debilitating so that when they do do go into combat, it's now harder on them. There's a penalty to them. They have negatives and that kind of thing. Or you just slowly let it build where it's just, you know, first day they're, you know, stomach ache. Second day, can't keep anything down. Third day, they have fevers. But then you have to have a situation where they're sustained with her or it, if we want to change it to a different type of creature, without figuring out that, like, you know, that's the only variable. Mm-hmm. We were fine. We went to the, her cabin. There's a dust storm. We can't leave for three days. We're all getting sick. It's going to be very obvious. But A, is that a problem? Probably not. But the thing that struck me, and I don't know if it would work well in a game, but it would work well in a story, is the the possibility of what could have happened. The idea that the PCs are there, they manage to not kill the creature, but they, they're suspicious enough, they don't eat the food, and then they leave. And that's the encounter. And then later, they they realize what she was or what it was, like someone else dies. And they're like, we were there. We That could have been us. So the danger could still be there, but it's more like a relief. Like, oh, we, we survived. We were smart because we didn't eat the food. And then they only find out later through some other story, another PC die, NPC dies or whatever, that they're like, oh, my God, we were in the dragon's mouth the whole time and didn't know it. I think in a story that could be a cool reveal. I don't know if it would work in a, in a game, though. I think it would. I think if they if they were to escape that situation through whatever means, it's almost incumbent upon the GM then at that point in time to remind them of that fact that, yeah, okay, you got away. That means that she's still out there. Yep. And then suddenly when they go to the next town and if they, if they're in, you know, it's, it's a, it's a stormy, it's a stormy night when they, when they roll into the inn the late night, this town, and there's, there's a odd looking innkeeper in there and there's somebody in the back kitchen preparing food. They don't get to see who that person is preparing food. Now, is anyone going to get suspicious or are they just going to go ahead and eat it because they're hungry and they're wet and they're tired, you know? And so now they're constantly looking over their shoulder at this, uh, every meal that they get that they don't take, you know, prepare or deal with themselves. Um, which I think is, 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 that's a nice, wonderful way that it's a great memory to create in the sense that you're, the, you're as a GM, you're, you're still kind of screwing with your players a little bit, but you're not really affecting anything, but you're creating great memories for those players. who are like, oh my gosh, yeah, we were suspicious of every single meal we ate for a year until we finally squared off with her and killed her. And then we knew the threat was over, you know, which, so that's, you know, so the, they, they're, every single meal they're worried about turning into Prince Joffrey, you know? Yeah. Um. So I just want to share this because I, I'm particularly proud of it. But one of our previous episodes in this se- segment, we came up with the idea of using a uh, black pudding where it's been frozen and people eat it like ice cream. And then it thaws out in the stomach and then d- dissolves them. So food killing you is a theme. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the thing about th- that I think is important here, like the, the nugget I would want to pull out is as a DM, sometimes we we think we know what's best. And maybe we do sometimes. But the idea that, okay, we'll put the players here. It's going to be this really moody, intense scene. They're eventually going to learn who she is, and there's going to be this fight, and this fight's going to be really cool. And then the players, either intentionally or unintentionally, never really fall into the trap. I think myself, I mean, I'll admit, I'm probably going to keep pushing until we get to that fight because I thought the fight was going to be fun. Maybe you just let them go, and then that gives you the ability to circle back around, and again, other people are dying uh, you know, that, that moment of, oh, my God, we could have died, but we didn't. 
you know, you can still salvage that feeling you were going for, but it might be three sessions later. Don't don't feel like you have to get to the fight because you thought it was going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is uh, there is uh, something to be said for the the slow burn, so to speak, of uh, uh, of that kind of thing. Yep. You know, and you can always make her more powerful the next time because it's an open fight. You know, you kind of lost the mystery. You can make up for that by having them be very deadly. You know, powerful minions or all that kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that is the Poison Woman from uh, Deadlands. Uh, again, I have the book that doesn't have the picture. I have the the Savage Worlds version of it. Um, which which version do you have with the picture? It is the first. Um, it, it's it's also the Savage World version, but I think it was like the first version of the Reloaded Rules that they put out, where everything was consolidated into one book. Okay. Um, and then and then they came out with with those the versions. Di- yeah, the digest size. Yeah, right I, I looked yeah. in my. Uh, I got that the the old version, the twentieth anniversary. I didn't Ooh, see nice. it. I don't think it's in there. Um, I was I a fool, I was a fool and didn't back high enough to get the physical copy. I just got the PDF version of that yeah. one, and I kicking myself now because that was before I started playing Deadlands again. Uh, it, it is a beautiful book. I don't know that I'll ever play it. It's just another one that's on my shelf, but it yeah. it is a gorgeous book. Yep. All right. So with that, we will move into the last part of the show. And this is where we do questions and answers with the audience. We do have a, still have a few people who are watching and paying attention, maybe one or the other. Uh, so as always, we'll throw it out to the audience. If you have any questions for myself or for Chris, they don't have to be RPG related, though often they are. Uh, please let us know. Uh, there's a bit of a delay. So while we're waiting for uh, chat to catch up one more time, Chris, where can people find your stuff? Where would you want to send them? That kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, the social, my social media of choice is, uh, on Twitter and I am, can be found at the Hussman, uh, T-H-E-H-U-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, you can also, I hang out on, uh, I'm also on Instagram, but there I'm, uh, Obocop, uh, much like I am in the chat here. That was, Obocop was one of my older, uh, handle, online handles. Um, I, I am on uh, the Book of Faces every once in a while, not nearly as much. I, I, if honestly, that's probably Facebook's probably my fourth choice. It's Twitter, Instagram, uh, G Plus, and then um, uh, Facebook. So, all right. So before <laughs> we get to Mumphrey's question, we will answer it. There's one question that we ask all the guests. Um, so, if you were an action figure, what three accessories would come in your package? Uh, I absolutely would have to have a blaster um, for sure. And um, I think the other things that I would have, I probably would have an attachable backpack Mm -hmm. uh, because I just think they're cool. And And practical. You got to have a place to put your stuff. And practical. And then probably the other thing I would have, hmm, it's probably either a tie between uh, a sword of some sort uh, or uh, a helmet. Uh, I just, I, I and, I, and I'm, I'm picking all of these things only because they're, they were attachments and extras that came with uh, Star Wars figures, which was, was literally all I ever played with growing up. So. All right. Uh, so Mumphrey asked if we were going to be fighting to the death tonight. Uh, <laughs> I've got a lower back pain. I don't think I'm fighting anything tonight. So do you want to reschedule? Yeah, let's reschedule. Yeah, my, my, I'm almost back to 100% since my knee surgery. So, yeah, I think uh, a reschedule will be good. Okay. Next, 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 time we, next time we game together, we'll, uh, we'll do that after the game is over. All right. Uh, are you going to be at Gen Con? I'm not going to be at Gen Con. I think the only con I'm going to do this year is going to be – uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, it's probably going to be, and I'll tell you why, but it's going to be um, Gamehole Con, I think is the only one I'm going to be doing this year. 
the reason why is has to do with my regular job. November is a sweeps period for t- uh, local television. And so getting away in November is very, very difficult. Um, so for me to go out to Ohio um, would be really tough in the middle of November uh, to do that. So Fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, so Mumphrey asks, seriously, though, are there any plans to do another Earth Dawn actual play? Uh, we had talked about it, um, not necessarily Earthbound. We were going to do their sequel game, 1879. We'd bounce that around. I think, honestly, um, any other APs for me right now probably are not going to happen. And the reason for that is, one, I don't want to detract from what I'm doing with uh, Adventures Young and Holt. And the second reason is um, I have discovered over the years in all my writing that um, at the heart of it, I enjoy writing fiction the most. And... Uh, for years, I have been trying to get slash motivate slash kick myself in the ass to either be published again in fiction, um, whether it's, you know, through submissions to various places or to self-publish fiction. And and I don't, I don't know if it's an age thing now that I'm closing in on 50, but I realize that I need to do this sooner rather than later. And so I'm really trying to focus on getting some fiction written and getting it published in some way, shape or form uh, at some point. Hopefully still yet this year. So we'll see. All right. Um, so no question about this, but you and I, the first time we actually got to game together was a module that you ran at Gen Con. Was it last year or the year before? Uh, been two years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you want to give any, any of the secrets away of that, but it was a very fun and interesting campaign with a lot of role play and a giant who looked like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> I um yeah he did actually right he was yeah. uh, it was a cloud giant mini from uh, the old D&D minis. Uh, I don't want to give secrets away of that mod because there is a very strong chance that it may actually that module may actually see some publication. Mm. But I have to say that um it is it's a module I'm very proud of. I actually developed the the base idea of it with my wife as we were driving home from a fear of the con one year and I've run it I want to maybe about half a dozen times and every single time has been thoroughly and utterly enjoyable. And it's been a little bit different every time. And it's because there's, there's, there's just in you, obviously remember there's a huge emotional decision that you have to make in there. And every time I've done it, I've always been very, very pleased at how the players react to this. Um, and it, and it's, and it's been great. And, uh, and so I do plan on running it again when I'm at Gamehole Con uh, this year. But, uh, yeah, there's a very good chance I've been talking with a couple of people about uh, possibly publishing it uh, for, you know, for so other people can go and enjoy it. But that, that has- I may know one of the people you've been talking about publishing it because I may be talking to the same person about some things, too. Nice. And he's, he's very good at what he does. Yes. Um, and he's a good guy in general. So, yes. Um, so I'm hoping that that happens because I really like it. My players, and every time I've run it, have really liked it, and so I feel that it, it has some legs. Um, and I think that the, the the plot twists that occur in there is it's some of the best I've done. So, right, very very cool. So one last time to to chat. If anyone else has any questions, if not, we will go ahead and wrap things up uh, there. So any final words, Chris? Um, uh, heat cheetah. I don't know. <laughs> That's my final word. I don't know. Really. <laughs> this is okay. So, so the reason why I say that is here, I'll tell you what um, we were talking uh, quotable movies uh, beforehand, before we started, yeah. and we had mentioned blazing saddles. Mm-hmm. And 
the Holy Grail, Monty Python, Holy Grail, I think is most gamers go to movie when it comes to gaming table quotes. It's almost as if it's the Holy Grail of movie quote movies. It, yes. For me, it has always been, I think Holy Grail was definitely a very close second, but Blazing Saddles has always been the first. That is the movie. I just, I quote more than anything else that the gaming table when it comes to that kind of stuff. But the reason I say cheetah is because the movie airplane, which also has a lot of quotable things. So there's a scene in the movie where passengers are going up to the information desk and they're asking like the first couple ask legit questions right. about this flight or that flight. And then, then the person, somebody comes up there and says, what's the fastest land animal? And the guy behind the desk says cheetah. And then he walks away and he says, next question. The woman comes up and she says, should I fake my orgasms? And then the guy says, yes, next question. And so then it, you know, goes into the ridiculousness of his airplane. And so that's why, that's why I said cheetah. So. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that movie for me it's probably either clue the movie or oh, yeah. young frankenstein oh, um, frankenstein frankenstein yeah i don't know if i quote it a lot like in gaming but i quote that movie all like well just randomly like foul brewer <laughs> just all the time <laughs> yep absolutely uh, so we did have a question uh mumphrey wanted to ask have you ever ran boot hill as a straight western game or aces and eights or has it always been deadlands it has always been Deadlands. Uh, I w- I've, I've always been fascinated by Boot Hill. I've never, I've never actually purchased it. I remember seeing ads for it in, in uh, various gaming magazines in the early, uh, early eighties, um, and thought, "Wow, a Western game! What the hell is this?" You know. And then I always heard things about Aces and Eights being so overly high detailed and complex. I would actually like to try and run a regular Western game just to see what it's like. I'm actually, I've been reading stories out of old western pulp uh, short story magazines uh lately uh and enjoying it quite a bit actually it's it's been pretty good so i i have a limited experience with boot hill it was one of the few games that i got to play this was when i was in college and i had a had a group we played with for a little while and uh one of the other players wanted to run something they wanted to run boot hill they were very clear that Boot Hill is a very deadly game. It's not D&D. You're not heroes. You're not swinging, swinging swords. It's deadly. Hmm. First night, made our characters. We decided to jump somebody. Turned out it was wide Earp. We all died. We never played again. <laughs> like, we thought we were, like, there was three of us. And we, we were going to triangulate. And that game, if you're high, I mean, it was just like we got murdered so fast <laughs> in that game. Uh, I've never played Aces and Eights, but is that the one where you have like a silhouette that you like have to lay down on a character sheet? Yeah, and then you roll, and it depends on how close to center. Like, I feel like I'd like to play that once. I don't think I'd, I'd want to play a long game, but it might be something just to try. Yeah, Greyhawk Mike, who was on the chat earlier, who's now overdoing Big Twenty right now, I believe he has played that. Um, I believe him and I think Jason from the Gamers Table crew. I think that they played Aces and Eights, or they at least talked about it. But I know they did like a Kickstarter a few years ago um, to do that. And again, you know, it would have been something I would have backed just for the hell of it, just to try it. Um, but nope, you know, you 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 have different priorities at the time, and I just think, man, that was so stupid back then. I also would actually like to run or play in a straight Western game, though I, I would like for it to be like a long burn where like really late you learn that there actually is supernatural elements to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I would like to play in a straight Western. And uh, I was talking to someone on Twitter recently about Western games, and I think it was I think it was Rodney Thompson. I may be wrong there. Uh, said that Oot, Hoot Owl Trail is a Western game to look into if you want to play a Western game. 
So like Hoot Owl Trail, I think is what it's called. So something to look into. All right. So with that, we will call it. Chris, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Uh, You are our official Fear the Boot liaison to the RPG Academy (laughs) Network. Uh, It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. And this was great. I absolutely loved it. It's awesome. And you, I, I have to, I'm going to throw some compliments back at you. Oh, play you, mommy. You, um, you, you really honestly do amazing things. And uh, the, just the sheer amount of stuff that you guys put out and the different shows that you have, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And I think that um, you are, uh, you are excellent ambassadors for the hobby. Well, that is what we try to do. So thank you very much for that. Now, if only like another 7,000 people would, would jump on board. <laughs> well, you've almost got that many Twitter followers, which is fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're getting there slowly, slowly but surely. So, but anyways, thank you. I do. I really do truly appreciate that. It's, it's what we try to do. And just today, there's the whole thing with the D&D gate, whatever thing blowing up with people being morons. And, and I, my personal opinion is it's just ignore them. Like, I don't even think talking about it all. I think that's what they want. So I'm just not saying anything, but our goal from the beginning has been, this is a game for anyone who wants to play. Anyone can try just start playing. It's so much fun. Why not, why not explore this, you know, this type of game. So to hear that people see that it really does mean a lot. So thank you. And with that, we will do our awkward wave out as I look for the button. No jokes. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at therpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at therpgacademy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.